I want to move into the message this morning, and this is a uh, this is officially the last message uh, in the series Endgame. And uh, this has been the longest series that we've done, you know, and uh, I've, I've, we've, ne- we've never done a series that's lasted three months. It's just we've never done that. Uh, but I believe uh, that through the course of this series that the Lord has blessed us in many different ways with his word. And uh, I have been incredibly grateful and thankful for uh, the understanding that God's word has given us. And, you know, I hope and I pray that this series is always a tool that everybody in our church family and anyone else can use for the rest of their life when it comes to studying Revelation and parts of Ezekiel and Daniel and the end times. Uh, but we are coming to the end of it today. And um, the truth is there's a lot more. There's a, there's a lot more. And uh, there's some details in it that I really want to give. And so I want to commit to you finishing some of these detailed things in podcasts that will come out over the next few weeks. Um, And so there's about four or five deeper things that I want to get into, uh, but I have just felt in my heart that it's time to close the series down and to end today. And my heart has been heavy all week. It's just been a a heavy week for me spiritually, Um, just, you know, preparing for the men's retreat and just carrying the message that I delivered Thursday night and then carrying this one in my heart all week, it's just been heavy, if I'm honest. And, and there's been multiple times I've just kind of come to it and teared up and just begin to cry just under the weight of the word because the message today to end the Endgame series is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and this is a topic, this is a discussion, this is an event that is far greater than we'll ever truly realize in our life. There's just a heaviness to it. Truly, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be for those who know Jesus and for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ will be the greatest day in human history. And there's a heaviness to that reality. But there's also a heaviness to the other side of that reality, to the flip side of that coin. Because though for those of us who have given our lives to Christ and put our faith in Jesus, at the end of this age, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords returns, it will be the greatest day in history for us who have put our faith in Jesus. But for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have rejected the word of God and rejected the son of the living God and rejected the salvation that was made available to them on the cross of Jesus Christ, for them, the return of Christ and the second coming will be the worst day in human history. And there has been a genuine heaviness that's been in my heart all week long. Some of these messages have been so heavy and hard to preach. Last week was one of those messages. It's, it's a hard message to hear because we're, we're talking about things that, that are just not popular in our modern Christianity, in our modern times. The, the thought of, of talking about judgment, for example, is difficult. And I'm not talking about like the religious judgment, like everybody in my millennial generation, they just get judged and easily offended. And just, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about righteous, just, genuine judgment that is cast down upon people. 
It's difficult, you know, and, and, and last week specifically, there were, there were people that, not, not in any kind of bad way, and, and, but it was difficult for people to hear. It bothered people. There, there was newer Christians who heard the message last week and heard about the beginnings of the wrath of God and struggled with it and reached out and sent emails, and, and I, I, I spent time responding to those the best that I could, and, and, and it's difficult, you know, and it's not about immaturity or maturity. It's not that, that, you know, some people don't really know the Word of God. It's not about any of that. It's just about the reality as, as human beings and saved by the grace of Jesus that there's just certain aspects to the world and to reality and to Scripture that's just difficult to hear and comprehend. And so when you're really coming to the fullness of what it means, because this is something we don't talk about a lot, what, what it means for the second coming of Christ, what it means for the return of Jesus, and, and, and to see the, the beauty, the power, the majesty, the glory, the amazingness in it for those who know Jesus, but then to see the hopelessness to those who don't know Jesus. Because upon his return, time is up and there is no more hope. And so as, as we go into the message Today, I, I want us, if we can, and it's hard, and I don't mean this judgmentally at all because I struggle with it too, but there is a humanistic side to each one of us. And sometimes that humanism in us makes it difficult to hear the difficult realities of Scripture. But I, 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 wanna, I wanna give you a proverb this morning from Solomon that will hopefully help us understand what could happen over the next few minutes in our life. That, that we could, we have an opportunity over the next few moments to hear the depths of God's word, maybe in a unique way, in a way that would open up our heart and open up our mind and open up our eyes to the truth of the reality of scripture that could forever change the way we live our life and view our life and view the gospel and view the Bible and view what we have in Jesus. There's a proverb, he says, and, and I'm, I'm summarizing it and I'm, I'm giving my spin on it, but this is, this is the, the heart of what he says. He says that a foolish person will always spend their time going to parties. Any fools out there can get an amen. We like parties. Parties is a good thing. Parties is fun. Parties is celebration. But he said a fool will always go to parties, but a wise man will make sure that he always goes to funerals. And Solomon's point is he says that a foolish man will always go to parties and always be distracted and, and they'll never see the darker things of life. They'll never see the more difficult things of life. And because of that, they'll never value the time that they have on this earth. But if a wise man continue at every opportunity goes to a funeral, he's continually reminded of death. He's continually reminded that this life that we live is temporary and it comes to an end and it would cause the wise man to live every second at a lot more wise and valuable rate that he would spend his time uh, focusing on the things that really matter. It would give him a leg up in life other than the guy who's just going to the parties, never really understanding and coming to know the value of time in his life. In the same sense, there are so many beautiful things about the scripture. There's so many powerful, you know, majestic things about, there's so many blessings that we get in Christ. And it is an amazing thing to focus on those things and to read about those things and study those things and learn those things and bask in those things and be thankful for those things. But there is also a flip side to blessing. There's also a flip side to our salvation and it's also good for us to peer into that every once in a while and see what we have been saved from so that we could come to understand the value of the death Jesus truly died for us. 
And so over the next few minutes, I want us to look at the coming of Christ. In Revelation 19, I want us to see uh, this vision that, that God gave John on the island of Patmos about the final end of this era as we know it when the King of Kings returns and this, this imagery that we see and then what happens and what takes place on the earth. And it is difficult to read to an extent, but like Solomon says, a wise man will go to a funeral. Let's use that wisdom this morning and let's see the reality of what Jesus has saved us from so that maybe that will open up for us in a greater way, the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation 19. Verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. With righteousness he judges and wages war. He has eyes like blazing fire and many royal crowns on his head, and he has a name written on him that only he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. So this is the imagery that is given to John to give to us about Jesus, the king returning. And there are many powerful things, but I want you to understand the weight of one statement. With righteousness, he judges and wages war. With true righteousness and purity, he comes to hand out the final judgment to all wickedness and to all evil. In verse 14, it says, the armies of heaven dressed in fine linen, white and pure, follow him on white horses and from his mouth proceeds a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. The purpose the purpose at which Christ steps down into the earth at his second coming, the first purpose is to wage war against all wickedness and to purify the world from all sinfulness and all that cause sin. And he starts with the Antichrist. It says in verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying overhead, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and commanders and mighty men of horses and riders, of everyone slave and free, small and great. Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies assembled to wage war against the one seated on the horse and against his army. But the beast was captured along with the false prophet who on its behalf had performed signs, deceiving those who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. Both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of the one seated on the horse and all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. And this is, this is difficult imagery to take in. But before we break down the, the basis of, of what happens at the second coming of Christ, I cannot help but to remind us of God's mercy and God's grace in everything that Jesus did, even through the tribulation, to give the world and everyone in it time after time after time after time to repent. Not only has it been 2,000 years of the church operating under the power of the Holy Spirit to be a light in this dark world, to preach the gospel of Jesus, 
Jesus Christ. But once the tribulation begins, he sent down, if you remember, two witnesses in Jerusalem for three and a half years to do supernatural works and supernatural powers and to, to preach and teach the testimony of Jesus to all of the world from Jerusalem. He also gathered together 144,000 powerful men of God of like the world has never seen. And that 144,000 who were chosen and marked by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world during the tribulation, they were supernaturally protected and they preached revival like we have never experienced on the earth. Millions of people did come to know Jesus because of their preaching. God also sent multiple angels, angelic beings into the earth, one to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world, to every nation, one to warn everybody on the earth over and over again, not to worship the beast and not to take the mark, one to warn even Babylon itself, this great mysterious nation that was murdering Christians to repent and for people to leave because of the destruction that would come. The heart of what I want you to remember before we break down the reality of the coming of Christ is that even in the last seven years of mankind, even at the end of the age, God did everything possible. Every single person on the earth heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person on the earth heard it multiple times from multiple ways because what we see all through Revelation is that nobody, nobody on earth it misunderstands who God is, misunderstands they're aware of Jesus, they're aware of the Lamb. They're so aware that not just of the Lamb and not just of the Father, they're also aware that what is being poured out on the earth is from them, yet they still do not repent. It says it over and over and over again, no matter what happened, no matter what message they heard, no matter what discipline they saw, no matter what judgment they experienced, those who lived after the seals and after the trumpets and after the bowls, those who lived still did not repent of their sins and did not seek favor with Jesus Christ. So they had every opportunity in the book. But then there comes that fateful day that is yes for you and for me and for those of us who know him the greatest day in history. But Jesus says that when he does return, in Matthew 24, he said that when I return, it will be so obvious. It'll be like lightning striking in the east that can be seen all the way to the west. The whole world will see Jesus and the whole world will mourn because they will know in that moment they had every opportunity and every ounce of hope right up to that second and then they truly became hopeless because time had run out and he was the, the salvation and the grace that he's been so freely giving to the creation and to those who God created at that moment in time was now over and he's come to destroy the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet and all of the kings and all of the nations and all of the leaders and all of the wicked who uh, rejected the truth of Jesus all the way to the bitter end. And then he cleanses the world of all wickedness and he sets up his reign. And for a thousand years, the Bible says that he shows us and he reveals to us what a righteous king looks like and what it feels like to be ruled by true, pure righteousness. And so, yes, it is out of this world amazing, but there's a lot of heaviness that takes place in the reality of what happens to those who reject Jesus. And so that is the second coming of Christ. There's so much more to it. As you can see, we, we couldn't get it all in three months. But I, 
with the heaviness and with my prayers this week, I've afraid, God, how do you want me to end this? I don't don't know how to end a series like this. I don't know how to end the conversation on the second coming. I don't know how to end a conversation on the end of the era, the end of the age, the final judgment when when we stand before you. you. How do you end that message? How do you end that series? And then the Lord revealed to me in Matthew 13 that, that Jesus actually gives us, that he actually ends this very topic with this parable. It's very simple. It's the shortest parable in the Bible. And it comes on the back of another parable that he gives about the end of the age and about the judgment. And so this morning, I want to close the series and I want to close the idea of the end game and I want to close the idea of the end of the age the same way that Jesus did. It started with Jesus in Matthew 13. He gives this parable of commonly known as the parable of the wheat and tares or just the parable of the weeds. And he says that there was a, a man who owned a, a land, a farm, and that he planted good seed in his uh, field. And that at night, one of his enemies came along and tossed out bad seed or weeds into that same field to ruin it. And he said that uh, over the coming weeks, they realized that the, the wheat wasn't the only seed there, that, that somebody had planted weeds and tares as well. And the servants asked the master of the land in the field, do you want us to separate and dig out all the weeds and all the tares? And he said, no, because if you try to dig out all the tares and all the weeds, then you'll tear up the wheat too. He said, let them grow together. And then at the end, at the harvest, we'll harvest them all, we'll cut them all down, and then we'll separate them. And they took the wheat and they, they, they packaged it up and they took the weeds and the tares and they separated them from the rest and then they burned them. And he told several other parables. He, he taught several other things throughout that, that day, but this stuck with the disciples. And so later on, when they got alone with the Lord, they asked him to explain in detail what that one meant because it just stuck out to them in a unique way. And I want to read that to you in Matthew 13, starting with verse 36. It says, then Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are collected and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom every cause of sin in all who practice lawlessness. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus gives the details, not just of his second coming, but of the final judgment. Revelation calls it the judgment seat of Christ to where every man and woman who has ever lived will stand before the throne of the great judge and great King Jesus and will be judged for the life that they lived. But every single person who put their faith in Jesus 
and was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness covers us. And when we stand, we will be moved to the right. We will be told good and faithful servant. And we will be welcomed into the paradise, not because we weren't sinners, not because we weren't evil, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ died for us and we believed the reality of Jesus and we put our faith in him and he saved us from our sins and we will experience eternity with the Father. But that every single person who rejects the faith of Jesus, rejects the cross of Jesus Christ, rejects the truth, rejects the grace, rejects the salvation, they will stand there naked before the Lord, no righteousness covering their sin. Though they have sinned just like you and me have sinned, they will have to answer for their sin. And because of their sin, the horrible truth is that the Son of God will look them in the eyes and say, I did not know you. They will be removed from the presence of Jesus, never to stand in the presence of God again, and they will spend all of eternity in a place that was designed for Satan. They will spend all of eternity in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the end of the age. And that's a heaviness. It's a heaviness. So how, how does Jesus end this? How does Jesus end this conversation? What is, what is the next thing that he says to his disciples who have got to be sitting there just like you and me are sitting here right now? If you can understand the reality of that. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 13, verse 44, shortest parable in the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. So Jesus stops in the thick of the heaviness. I mean, he just, he just laid out what happens to the end of the age. There's paradise, and then there is eternal hell. And he lays out the reality of that, and then he stops, and he gives this parable. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. Now, we all understand what treasure is. The way I remember treasure, when I view treasure all my life, if you go back, I'm, if you're a millennial, then you, you know this movie. It is The Goonies. Just raise your hand if you were raised a little bit by The Goonies. Let's just, that, that movie was so, oh man, you know, baby You know that. You know that. It is a great movie. And and, and to me, that was always, when I thought of treasure, that was always what I thought of, the gold, the silver, the jewelry, all, all that they found on the ship. That was just what was marked in my mind as treasure. But all of us understand the reality of treasure. Treasure is significantly valuable. That's what treasure is. That's why it's called treasure, because it's treasure. It's ex extremely valuable. It, 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 it's, it's worth millions. It's worth billions. It's, there's nothing like it. It's separated from everything else. It's treasure. And this is what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. But he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. And a man finds this treasure in this field that he doesn't own. So it's not his. And then he has to make a decision in his heart and in his mind. Is this treasure that I just found worth everything else that I have and possess. 
Is this treasure that I found worth every, everything that I've worked for, everything that I've saved up, everything that I've invested in, everything that, that I've acquired through the course of my life? He had to see the treasure in the field and make that decision. And for him, he said, yes, this treasure right here, this is more valuable than everything else I have. It's worth everything else I have. And so this man hid the treasure back in the field and then he went away and he sold his house and his camels, I'm sure, and, and all the other things that they have. And I'm, I, maybe all his farming gear and I didn't live in this day and age and I don't really know what they had, but he took it all. He took everything that he had and everything that he possessed and then he sold it. And then he went back to buy the field so that then he could acquire and possess the treasure that was in that field. And this is what Jesus says, is the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that's worth everything that you have. And so I wanna, I wanna be really clear here because I've heard this preached a lot and, and there, it would be very easy for us, you know, to, in this moment to look at like Saul who became Paul because Saul who became Paul, he believed that the kingdom of heaven, he believed that his relationship with Jesus, he believed that being saved by Christ and what he possessed in his grace and in his relationship with God was truly worth more than everything else that he had because he laid it all down. He gave it all away. Saul was a man of great power. Saul was a man of great success. He was a man of great wealth. He had succeeded in his area of life to the highest degree. Everything that we chase in life, Saul had obtained. But then when he met Jesus that day on the road to Damascus, his entire world changed and, and he laid everything that he had down. He laid his honor down. He, he laid all of his, his, his promotions down, his, his, his glory as this great leader and this great man in, in Israel, this great Jew. He laid all of that down. He lost all of his wealth, all of his riches, all of his power, everything that he worked for in life. He lost every ounce of it for Jesus. And then he spent the rest of his life being stoned on a regular basis, not the weed, getting stoned with, with rocks. I just want to be clear because pursuits got everybody. Right? <laughs> Amen for that. Somebody just was like, oh, Jesus thing is cool. Okay. <laughs> no, with the rocks, being shipwrecked, starving, thrown in prison, whipped, losing everything, literally everything. And then, and then at the end of it all, he dies for Jesus. And when, when, when Paul, who used to be Saul, is now describing this, he says to die is gain to lose his own life. He believed this. And if you're not careful, what you, you might think I'm about to say, or what maybe you've heard this preached before this way, if you're not careful, you'll, you'll think that the Jesus's point here is to tell you that you need to be like Saul and Paul. You need to lay down everything. You need to give up everything. If you're not, if you're not willing to lay down everything, then you're not a good Christian and you're not like that and you're not really sold out and there's a lot of room here for religious guilt. Anybody ever experienced that? There's a lot of room here to make you feel like you're not a good enough Christian, to make you feel like you need to do more and you need to be more and you need to acquire and you need to lay it all down. Like you need to go home and it'll make you feel bad if you're wealthy, make you feel bad if you're successful in what you do, make you feel bad if you're, if you're happy in this world. But that's not the point that Jesus is making at all. Jesus, every time he gives a parable, it is there to teach us something to truly drive a point to us. So I, I know that it's our first in instinct to, to get offended and to, to feel like he's judging me and to feel this and feel that. Just kick that in the, all right, that's you. That's your issue. 
okay? People that get feel judged all the time. That's, I'm judging you for feeling judged all the time. That's you. Okay, if you're offended, that's on you. Okay, that, the point Jesus is making and the point that I'm making has nothing to do with you need to do better. He's trying to show you something. In fact, he's trying to teach you two very distinct things. The first thing is he is truly telling you and trying to open up your heart and open up your mind to the reality of what you really have in Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you right here, he's trying to open up your mind. He's trying to teach you and show you that what you have in Jesus, that, that what you have in the blood of Christ, that what you have in your relationship with Jesus, that your forgiveness of sins, that being filled with the Spirit of God, being open to walk into the presence of God, to be able to live under the power of God, to be able to be set free from the things of this world, to understand what you have in Christ is truly greater than everything else you could ever do, ever acquire, ever build. He's not giving you that for making you feel guilty for not living that way. He's giving that to you to open up your heart and open up your mind and let you know that you are just at the tip of the iceberg of what you know about the gift of Jesus Christ. And I know that there is a lot, and I don't, I don't, the truth is the vast majority of people sit on pews and chairs every Sunday morning through the course of their life, and they truly never come to understand the true weight and the power and the glory and the gift that they have in Jesus. Mostly, and it's not your fault. Because there is a, I'm gonna take the blame. I'm gonna stand in the gap for all of the weak-minded, money-hungry, glory-hungry, uh, power-hungry preachers in this modern age that preach to keep you in the seats rather than preach to get you closer to Jesus. Okay, it's not, I'm, it's our fault. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the weight of it. Right? Because it's our calling, it's our job to be the under-shepherd, to preach the whole word of God to you. That's my only real goal in life to preach the whole word of God to you, that when I stand before the Father, he will say, you did what I called you to do. But there, it's few and far between. And so there's a whole generation of people that, that all they hear is what the, they wanna hear, and, and the preachers lay it all down, and then they go through their whole life, and all they're exposed to is religion and tradition and systems, and they never truly come to know the power of what they really have in Jesus. And Jesus is giving you this right now at a minimum just to pique your interest, just to reveal to the depths of your heart that there is so much more in your relationship with God than you're experiencing right here and right now. It's more than Sunday mornings. It's more than a religious system. It's more than tradition that the spirit of the living God is in you, that you are a son and a daughter of God and what you could walk in and what you could live in and what eternity will be will be far greater than anything you could ever fathom or anything you could ever imagine. Jesus is giving you this the same way you would put a carrot in front of a horse. He's trying to get you to understand that this world is truly worthless and what he's given you and what you can get within his relationship is far greater than you realize. He's given it you to build hope in you to chase and seek him and go as far as you can go in Jesus. Man, if it was just Sunday morning, what a worthless religion. But it's not. We don't know what we have in the presence of God. We don't know what we possess in the depths of the mysteries of this book. But the power of it is, is we get to spend the rest of our life chasing it and exploring it 
And the more that we go down that road, the, the, the more that every inch we get farther down that road, the more powerful and the more majesty that we understand of God and what we possess in God. The second thing is, and, and he could have he made this whole same point without one of these words that he added. But he added a word. And when Jesus adds a word that you don't necessarily need to add, it's for a reason, it's for a purpose. And he added the word joy. He said that this man with joy, full of joy, joy in his heart, once he found the treasure, went and sold everything that he had. The second thing that Jesus wants you to know, though you may not have experienced it yet, though that you may not have, have walked down that path yet, he wants you to know that coming to understand the weight of what we truly have in Jesus will give you more joy than anything else you could ever experience here on this earth. There's nothing on this earth that will give you the joy the way the presence of God will give you joy, the way the weight of the gospel will give you joy. And he wants you to see this, not to judge you. He wants you to see this, not to condemn you. He wants you to see this so that you know you are missing out on something powerful within the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what we see, the more that you understand, the more that we see, and we, we see men and women in the Bible, the more that they gain, the more that they get, the more that they realize of what they really have in Christ, the more joy they have in Christ, the more peace that they have in Christ, and then the things that meant so much to them before become like trash, like rubbish. That's what Paul says. And I can tell you, there's been seasons in my life when I'm not there, but I can tell you this, the more that I get closer to God and the more that I learn of the gospel and the more that I live in the presence of God, the less and less this world means to me and there's more joy in knowing Jesus than any joy that the earth can give you. So he's given you this to open up your heart and mind to let you know that there is something deeper. There is something deeper in your relationship with Jesus that you can get to by the power of the Spirit in your life. He's opening this up. He wants you to know. Jesus picked this parable. He picked this moment right here, right after the end of the age, so that you would know. This is the, I can just imagine sitting in that room and hearing Jesus give us the explanation and then him say this, and just sit there and ponder what he just said, what he just explained versus this parable, this treasure that we have in Jesus that is both the greatest thing we could have on this earth, but then in eternity. The weight of what Jesus really wants us to see is that this world that we live in this was not what it was supposed to be. That sin destroyed the beautiful gift that was life. And in God's goodness and in God's mercy, he saved us from our sins so that we could then experience the good things that he had planned for us. And so I'll, I want to close the same way Jesus closed. With the good and the bad. There is a hell. 
It was a place that was designed for the devil and his angels. It was never designed for you and for me. But there is a hell. There is an eternal separation from Jesus, eternal separation from the presence of God, a place that you will live in torment forever, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a very real place. And I know that there's something most modern pastors do not want to talk about. They do not want to stand on pulpits and tell you about it. They don't want to get on TV and talk about it. They want to almost deny it like it's not there. They want to act like, well, it's, you know, there's some different thoughts and theories. No, hell is very real. And it's the worst thing that you could ever imagine. And those that don't put their faith in Jesus, that is their eternity. That's where they will go. And, 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 the, and, it, and I could stand up here and I could, I could fear monger and I could just keep going. But I mean, I just want you to understand, you think of the worst thing possible and it's a billion times worse than that. Mainly because it's separated from the presence of a living God. That's what Jesus saved us from. But then what Jesus saved us to, he describes as paradise on the cross. I want you to just understand something just for a second. I want us to just be real just for a second. The Bible says that when that time comes, when Jesus, after he wipes out the wickedness of the earth and they go through the great seat of judgment, it says that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. All the regret of our life, Think about the heaviness that we carry around of regret. Mistakes, raising kids, relationships, divorces, sins. We've hurt people. The weight of that guilt, the weight of that regret, it's washed under the blood of Jesus and there will come a time when it's completely removed from you and you will never know it again. There'll come a time that depression and anxiety will be removed from the minds of every believer and be thrown into hell where it belongs and you will experience nothing but peace for all of eternity and joy for all of eternity. The deep soul wounds that we have in our life from sins that we've committed and sins that have been committed against us, everything will be healed. Every sickness, every cancer, every struggle will be removed from our bodies and thrown into hell where it belongs. All sin will be removed, but also all the consequences of sin will be removed from our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. And then we will begin paradise like that forever. The, the herd of the lost ones that we've, we've lost on this earth, lost children, lost parents, lost siblings, lost friends, I mean, I, wanna, I want you to understand the world that we live in. We work so hard to make it okay. It's not okay. It's sin-ridden and the consequences of sin we walk in every single day. We experience life is difficult. Life is hard. Life is brutal. And all of that brutality, all of it is removed. All the pain is removed. And then we begin eternity forever. Beyond that, and this is the part where I can't, I'll never come up with the words good enough. I'll, I'll, never, I'll never be able to explain what I'm about to say in a way that will truly hit anywhere close to the reality of it. But besides being saved from hell and besides being all of the sin and all of the consequences of sin being removed from our bodies and experiencing paradise, besides all of that, we are saved to the very presence of God. We're saved to the presence of the Creator. 
Your body was created for the presence of God. Your eyes were created so that you could see the presence of God. Your ears were created so that you could hear the voice of God. Every neuro, you're built for pleasure. Have you not realized that yet? God created you to experience pleasure so that you could experience the pleasure of knowing him and his presence. And he gave you a mind that you could comprehend it and understand it. And every, you think of every pleasure sensor, everything that you've experienced on this earth that gives you pleasure, multiply that times a billion and that's what it will be to be in the presence of God. And I'm still falling short. But that's what we have in Christ. That's what we get to look forward to. And so though there's a heaviness to it, and it's okay, there's a realness to it, that when this world will fade away and wickedness will fade away, there will be judgment. But I want you to understand for those who put their faith in Jesus, what we have in Christ after this world fades is beyond our comprehension and our imagination. And it says that we cannot imagine what he has planned for us. So despite saving us from our sins, saving us from hell, saving us to paradise, and then saving us to the presence of God, Jesus goes out of his way to say, you can't imagine what I have planned for you, my children. And so I wanna close with that thought. You can't imagine it. That's how good it is. And if I've prayed all week that somehow in this moment, the Holy Spirit would reveal to us that that is true and the depths of that is more true than we could ever realize. This world will fade, it will pass. Death will find us if God doesn't come back in our lifetime. It will be over like this. But for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we will begin a paradise that we cannot imagine with our Creator. Amen. Amen.